you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canna-curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, April 11th, 2022. This is episode number 255. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about a child arrested for gummies... Amazon is not so weed friendly after all. Mushrooms can talk. Illegal grower found guilty for starting the Dolan fire. The Georgia medical cannabis dies in the Senate and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour, even when he cuts off the tip of his finger right before the show. What you got today, Rico? Okay, Susan, it's just the tip. More shaft man myself. <laughs> so mine's coming. <laughs> mine's coming from Sam Tabaridi of uh, Business Insider. Amazon says New York union organizers gave workers weed to help secure unionization votes. In case you missed it, last week New York organize, organizers did the unthinkable, winning the right for Amazon employees to unionize in a bid to become the biggest "Why you mad though?" meme ever. Amazon's blaming the lost New York union fight on stoners. That's right. The retail giants claiming New York union organizers gave cannabis to workers to secure unionization votes in an effort to overturn the vote, creating the first union in company history Friday. Amazon made this objection amid several others alleging the ALU and NLRB suppressed voter turnout. In a filing Friday, they questioned methods used by the ALU to win votes, claiming organizers gave cannabis to workers before the vote and threatened immigrant workers with the loss of benefits while waiting in line. The retail giant's lawyers said the NLRB cannot condone such practices as a legitimate method of obtaining support for for labor organization. Spokesperson Kelly Nantel said, 
We've always said we want our employees to have their voices heard. In this case, that did not happen. Fewer than a third of the employees voted for the union, and overall turnout was unusually low. ALU lawyer Eric Milner told the Associated Press, organizers handing out cannabis was no different than free t-shirts, and it certainly did not act to interfere with the election. ALU Vice President of Membership Connor Spence added, Saturday, Amazon's objections have no merit and intend to suppress a democratic outcome. We urge Amazon to cease the childish legal games, respect the voices of their workers, and engage in behavior that is more becoming of Earth's best employer. As As a response, the union filed 21 of its own objections, including claims of unlawful worker surveillance, intimidation, and retaliation. Either way, Amazon's calling for a second election because they believe the first was stolen. It has been revealed, it has not been revealed if Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani's services have yet to be retained to make Amazon great again. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street, reporting live for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'm interested in hearing the rest of y'all's thoughts on Amazon's failed union-busting efforts devolving into a little classic reefer madness territory. Hold on, Rico. Are you telling me that the same thing happened to Amazon that happened to America? Are you saying that Amazon is a microcosm of the greater United States? Is that what you're saying, Jason? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm asking a question. I'm posing a question because the election was stolen last time. And so this election was stolen, too. What, what election was stolen, Jason? All right. Let's not go down that road. No. Christopher, did you want to weigh in? Absolutely not. Okay. Um, Come on, Chris. Amazon was trying to say. Amazon what? was trying trying to be cool and saying that they're not going to test people for cannabis anymore, and now they're crying because the union gave the workers weed. Come on, get it straight. They were buying good people morning. off. Good morning. I, of I weed. think. Good morning. It's it, it's 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 all is fair in war and love. Whatever you know. It's like. Amazon paid anti-union consultants $800 an hour to convince workers not to join the union. So it's all good. Unions suck, especially teachers' unions. What are you talking about, man? (laughs) All right, simmer down there. Simmer down. I might be a Republican, but I was raised by the teachers' union in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They're not that bad of people. But... Back when Amazon started lobbying for cannabis and everyone was like, oh, my God, Amazon's getting in the game. It's all bullshit. It's always bullshit. Anytime these guys get in, it's all bullshit. Don't even ever think that someone has seen the light. These corporations don't see the light. They see the bo- their, their bottom line. That's what they care about. And that's why they don't want their uh, workers unionizing. Facts on facts. I, facts. Jason. Unions suck. Unionize America, Jason. Make unions great again. No, no there's no <laughs> such thing as a great union, first of all, Rico. Perhaps if we had some more unions, we wouldn't have had a great resignation. People have seen that it's, it's crazy to work two and three jobs just to, to break even. The pandemic showed That's that. That's Joe Biden's America, though, Dr. Felicia. Oh, God, oh, no, Jason. No. Well, no, there's no. now unions in the case. That's, 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 that's Reagan's America. I think Thank you, Dr. Felicia. Where's the gong? We are still reaping the rewards of Reagan's terrible economy. Hold on, bro. Reaganomics actually worked. Trickle down never works. For, for, for white people, it worked. For white capitalists, it worked. No, Very for everyone well. that works, Rico. It's not just for, for – this is fucking bullshit. It's for everyone. That's why you got to work two or three jobs for the trickle down. I've always worked two or three jobs. I have no problem with that. 
have you always trickled down? Uh, just my girls. I trickled down on them. All oh. right. Let's <laughs> keep moving. Up next, we have co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven resilient players in the weed game since starting her store in San Francisco. What's your headline today, Jason? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Susan. Today, my story comes from Greece. That's right, the greasiest of the Greece, where medical cannabis is to be sold at pharmacies in Greece. That's right, guys. Greece expects huge investments in the production of medical cannabis, which the government hopes would add up to 1.5 billion, with a B, euros. That's 1.67 billion annually in dollars to the state revenue. The Minister of Finance and Development and Investment, and Andonius Geogratis, said. The goal is for Greece to become the top European country in the production of medical cannabis Greece's environment is friendly for this particular plant, and we think we will have a natural advantage, he tells the Greek reporter, who actually is a friend of mine. Greece legalized medical cannabis back in 2017 and repealed a ban on cultivation and production back in March of 2018. And Geogalakis said the big investment by Tacoon Europe near the city of Corneth is already complete, and two more investments from companies in the UK and Canada are on the cards in production for medical cannabis in the Macedonia and Parta area. Tacoon uh, Europe was founded in Greece in 2018 and is a subsidiary of Israeli company Tacoon Alom, the biggest, largest global player in cannabis in the research and development of medical cannabis products. It is the first company to have been granted a license for the cultivation, processing, and production of cannabis in Greece. And foreigners will also be able to use medical cannabis while in Greece, and they would be allowed to purchase it through the pharmacies, with the only condition being that they have a prescription from their doctor, which isn't really realistic, but uh, good job, Greece. In Amsterdam and other cities, on the other hand, users must attain medical marijuana for specialty stores, which I think is fake news as well. But nonetheless, Malta's parliament approved a legal form that grants citizens the ability to grow and possess specific amounts of cannabis, and citizens aged 18 and over may possess no more than 7 grams of cannabis and may legally grow up to four plants in their home as well. Germany is also preparing to legalize cannabis for adult use, and the country's coalition government announced in late December that it would permit the controlled sale of cannabis to adults for adult use purposes in licensed shops. And the proposal seeks to create a market for the regulated sale and consumption of cannabis as part of a worldwide drug policy that would tax dispensaries and monitor quality of the drug and establish prerogative laws preventing underage use. Well, good job, Greece. I encourage you and all of your greasiness to make this super greasy. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. There's big news for Greece. Big ups to uh, everybody over there. And uh, Takuno, uh, um, Takuno has been doing their thing like for a long, long, long period of time. And um, I know they ran into a, a few speed bumps out here in California. They're trying to uh, find, figure out their identity. It's tough to make it in such a big um, a lifestyle market when you're a medical-backed brand. But I think they're going to have a lot of success internationally. 
it'll be really interesting to see how this rolls out because they started in 2018. And then they're saying, like, if you have a medical prescription, you can use it. So what does that mean? And how are they going to verify that? You know, this is pretty cool, though, as a that they're saying that. I think that's pretty big to say. And I say go grease. It's pretty cool. Thanks, Jason. So, so Liz, you would smoke greasy weed? Is it grease monkey? I don't know. I might try it. I feel like you got to try the, like, cuisine, the uh, terroir, you know, when you're traveling. Maybe just once. Absolutely. I want to know what mental disorders that they are uh, considering using cannabis for. I found that interesting. Hopefully it's for TDS, which is Trump derangement syndrome. And they, well, they're, um, they're really big on, they have a bunch of patents too, and they can actually legally say, I think they're the only ones in the U.S. that can legally say that they've cured cancer with their cannabis. They've had the facts to back it up. Wow. That's amazing. That's huge. That's huge. You'd be surprised that Big Pharma's not after them. That's huge. Why yeah. huge. huge? We've got Nick Bradley up from the audience. Nick, did you want to weigh in on Jason's yeah, headline? Yeah, so there's actually already prescribed cannabis at pharmacies in Europe. Um, in Amsterdam, you get something called Bedrican in five-gram uh, canisters. And as a recipient of Bedrican, because of the laws in Europe, you can travel freely to other countries and not have to deal with their laws. So That is factual information, Nicholas Bradley. You are 100% right. If you are a medical cannabis patient in Europe, you can travel all throughout all of Europe with your medical cannabis if it's designated by one individualized country. We're at the end of the end of time for that story. And up next, the next correspondent is the CEO of award-winning and regional Breeders League, MJ BizCon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and internationally recognized as one of the dopest mamas ever to grace planet Earth. Y'all know who it is, Priscilla Agoncilla. What you got for us today, P? Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Rico. So I have a pretty, pretty neat story. Uh, my, the title of it is Mushrooms Can Talk to and protect each other with up to 50 words. This was posted on um, nypost.com. UK scientists have found that the multifaceted fungi can reportedly talk to each other, and they even have a bountiful vocabulary. Research detailing their uh, their correspondence was published on Wednesday in the Journal of Royal Society Open Science. They found that the fungal language exceeds the European languages in morphological complexity, um, which is, uh, it, the study was conducted by computer science professor Andrew Adamatsky, and he is at UWE in Bristol. So they basically analyzed the electrical impulses of four species of or strains of mushrooms, the enokis, the split gill, the ghost, and the caterpillar fungus. Uh, the fungal linguists accomplish this by inserting electrodes into the dirt colonized by the mushroom's hyphae, or the mycelium, and then he recorded the results. The electrical spikes often occurred in clusters, mirroring human vocabularies and employing up to 50 words. Uh, they demonstrated that distributions of fungal word lengths match that of human languages. Um, so it's very, very fascinating, this study. If you have a chance to read through it, I recommend to do so. Uh, they 
chat in order to make their presence known to other members of the cluster, much like wolves howling to alert the pack. And it could also be for other purposes, such as to tip off uh, fellow fungi both to potential threats, um, weather, as well as sources of sustenance they share like a slimy sentry between each other. Uh, so researchers can agree that the patterns are not random, but more study is needed um, before they make mushroomese an official language. This is Priscilla reporting for the SOC News Hour. I got so many damn questions. <laughs> what the fuck? Me too. <laughs> like, like no, number number one, like, what the fuck? Number two, um, how long until PETA c- cracks down on people for eating right. mushrooms because they're living beings? <laughs> I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel guilty about Hold eating on. them. My mushrooms always talk to me and they always tell me, eat me, eat me. Well, we've shown mush- that mushrooms have intelligence. I mean, we had stories like that before with the mycelium communicating with each other. So maybe it's more like electrical pulses that mean Also, words. too, also well, too um, uh, mushrooms are aliens. They are out of this world. Uh, mushrooms have much more in common with humans than they do with plants. So all of this is just so cool, um, you know, and, and when you, you're looking at mushrooms from a, um, a spiritual uh, uh, angle, you know, they say that mushrooms are the children teachers of the universe. So that's why a lot of people, you know, when they have uh, or they take uh, or have a, a psychedelic mushroom experience, you know, that's most of the time is pretty playful, but you have still so much that you learn uh, from from having uh, either microdosing or having a macro um, uh, experience with mushrooms. So it's just pretty fascinating that they're starting to record all of this data now. Dr. Mary Clifton, did you have some wisdom to share with us? You're on mute. So mushrooms talk just like dolphins. We have so much to learn from plants and other animals. And I think we're always trying to apply human intelligence to everything else that if you can speak or if you can understand me speaking, then you're smart and every and everything else isn't. But I mean, we have researched so much information on trees where, uh, where mother trees, if they have a seedling nearby, will direct water and nutrients to that seedling. They do that by, by giving the mother sort of a radioactive traceable nutrient and then watching where it goes but but uh, plants support their own genetic offspring and uh, and of course you know whole forests are connected and diverse communities it's um it we're, we're all fingers on one hand i guess it does make sense because mushrooms come from shit and humans are full of shit yeah it's monday it's trash day take out the humans hey <laughs> take out the face <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Hold on. So mushrooms communicate like dolphins? Is that is that basically the scenario? Do dolphins communicate well, like mushrooms? Do dolphins eat mushrooms? Blue dolphins? Well, I, I, all that I know is that this sounds like a, a totally bad ending of a bad rave with blue dolphins and magic mushrooms. Dolphins do get high. They suck on pufferfish. And they have also studied that, and that are that that's facts. So if oh, they could boy. eat magic mushrooms. I'm positive that they would. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a TikTok on that because that's hilarious. 
sucked on puffer fish. Flipper. Intoxication is such an interesting topic. Children like to spin around and get dizzy, and that's feeling intoxicated. I I think it's just uh, we need to own up to intoxication. We like it. Not for medical reasons or not for, you know, but just simply for the pursuit of a higher level of joy. I mean, if it's an 8 out of 10, why not make it a 10 out of 10? This puts a whole new spin on Finding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were in, wow. in search of the fine herb. I think that's what was happening underwater. Oh, yeah. That was a fantastic story. Thank you so much, Priscilla. And coming up next, we have Gretchen Gailey. She's our Washington insider and the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own redheaded conservative. What do you have for us this morning, Gretchen? Uh, good afternoon, Jason. Uh, before I get started, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our super fans, Ingrid Fay, who is in the audience that I met over the weekend at uh, CannaFest Chicago. Thank you, Ingrid, for all your support and for listening. We love and adore you. Uh, my headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, Congressional Cannabis Caucus named new GOP co-chair who voted to federally legalize marijuana last week. Leaders of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus on Friday announced that they have selected Representative Brian Mast of Florida to serve as the fourth co-chair of the bipartisan panel to advance federal legalization. Mast was just one of the three members, GOP members, who voted in favor of the Democratic-led bill to end prohibition and promote social equity in the cannabis industry that passed in the House last week. He will replace the late Representative Don Young of Alaska, who died at the age of 88, Um, as he was one of the two Republican co-chairs of the caucus. Uh, Masta said, Constitution never says cannabis, but it does say that unenumerated powers lie within the states. Federal cannabis policy should be based on the constitutional principle. Uh, Masta is a military veteran who has championed various cannabis reform bills over his time in Congress. He is being recognized by his fellow co-chairs as an apt fit to join the caucus leadership. His GOP counterpart, uh, Representative Dave Joyce of Ohio, sent a press release that the congressman has established a reputation of good faith and leadership on strategic and sensible cannabis reform. Uh, not only is Brian a longtime proponent of remedying the unjust consequences of our nation's 80-year war on cannabis, but as a representative of a medically legal state, he understands the complexities of both legal and non-legal markets and the necessity for federal reforms that work with not against individual state needs. Uh, He also uh, knows too well the sacrifices of the American veterans have made and is committed to ensuring their needs are included in both comprehensive and individual reform efforts moving forward. Brian serves in Congress as he did on the battlefield without regard for personal gain or personal sacrifice. Uh, I think this is a good move on the part of the Cannabis Caucus. Um, I like Mast uh, simply because he is from the good old state of Florida, and I think Florida is going to play a a much larger role um, because just of the size of the market that they will bring on board, uh, which I would expect to probably come on board in the next year or so. Um, And so I think it's good to have someone from such a major state uh, having a wide voice in this uh, discussion. Uh, This is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. 100% 100% Gretchen. Brian Mass is a close personal friend of mine. He's going to do a fantastic job at his role um, with the Cannabis Caucus. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Brian Mass. He's a fantastic person, fantastic individual, and really gets cannabis. 
I think his contribution can also be so powerful if he really steps up for the veterans uh, for a chance. I think the veterans have been left behind by one administration after another. And Mast is, Mast is the guy who wears the eye patch, right? I mean, he's so... No, he's, no, 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 no. That is not Brian Mast. Brian he's, Mast... Uh, lost his, lost his, uh, lost both lost of his, his legs, legs. It, okay. when he when he uh, was dismantling an IED bomb in Afghanistan. Got it, different guy, but but similar point anyway. Defending the defending uh, veterans' rights and veterans' access. So I'm I'm really looking forward to a powerful voice in that. In well, that and I think it, like you're saying, Chris, I think it's important uh, for the veterans' voice to continue to be heard and to be a, a big part of the leadership of the cannabis caucus. Uh, that is such a huge demographic here that is benefiting from cannabis. Um, and needs to get continue to try and gain access uh, more through the VA. So I think Brian will help to do that. Like I said, Brian is fucking fantastic. He's also one of the hundred congressmen that I regularly text on a regular basis. Who are the other ninety nine? You regularly text him on a regular basis. Is this on uh, WhatsApp, uh, Telegram? Uh, what, do you, uh, what kind of platform are you? I using? just use normal just standard text, bro. Sure you do. Nothing to hide. Yeah, that's, that's how your boy it's got all, caught. It's all, it's all transparent, <laughs> baby. Your boy Matt Gates got caught in the Matt same Matt Gates shit. is totally fine. Matt Gates is a fucking patriot and fucking can't wait. He's fucking one of our cannabis' strongest allies as well. Moving on. <laughs> Even though the libs love to hate him, but he still loves us. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. Please. Our next correspondent is a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. But when he loses the glasses and exits the nearest hotbox phone booth, don't be surprised if you see a man higher than a bird or plane could ever be. Coming to the stage is the vocal delivery goat in the state of Cannabis News Hour's very own Superman, Christopher Smith. What you got for us today, my man? Hotboxing in a phone booth. Good morning, Susan, Jason, and Rico. My story today comes from Cannabis Health News in the UK. Why NHS trials will not help tri- uh, children relying on medical cannabis now. So I've reported on the situation regarding cannabis medicine in the UK several times, uh, where it was approved in 2018. The law allows a ridiculously narrow runway for success, however. Uh, number one, general practitioners are not allowed to prescribe cannabis medicine. Number two, treatment must be initiated by a special consultant and may be continued under shared care by the GP. And number three, um, NHS guidance states that medical cannabis should only be prescribed when there is clear published evidence of its benefit and other treatment options have been exhausted. I'm sure you can imagine there are problems built into the scheme, like uh, likely influenced by Big Pharma and the law and order folks. The limited number of cannabis specialist consultants are available. There is no clear published evidence of its benefit because research has been limited by law, just like in the U.S. And if a patient has to wait until other Western medicine treatment options have been exhausted, the patient is likely exhausted. They will have suffered needlessly, sometimes for years. In other words, in my opinion, this cruel structure is designed to fail cannabis patients. In four years, the UK has only approved three people, and all the rest of the patients are paying out of pocket for cannabis medicine, which is often imported from the Netherlands or, or Canada. They're uh, to the tune of thousands of, of dollars a month. At least one family has had to sell their home to keep up with the cost of medicine for their child. So recently, this, what this story is uh, purportedly about, recently the British government's patting itself on the back for authorizing two trials of medicinal cannabis. One is designed to take a year to see if whole cannabis extract is effective against chronic pain. That's the trial we've been reading about, which may include up to 5,000 people. The other is to see whether CBD or THC is effective. 
Well, first, isolated CBD in massively high doses has already been developed, already approved in the U.S. and the U.K. The product is called Epidiolex. It's successful for many, but not all patients, just like all medicines. So they should check the box for isolated CBD. They're done with that. It stands to reason that THC isolate could possibly be helpful to some, but it skips over the most obvious path forward, which is that they should test it within the entourage effect of the whole plant medicine. This isolate-only strategy is especially cruel to the children with epilepsy and their families. First... The patients who are already taking cannabis medicines like Alfie Dingley, Billy Caldwell, uh, Murray Gray, uh, they would have to stop taking their medicines that they're already discovered are effective and have stopped their seizures. In submitting to the trial, they would have to take either CBD only or THC only or maybe even a placebo. Uh, so one of the kids I mentioned, Murray Gray, has Deuce syndrome, which has previously left him suffering hundreds of seizures per day. Now he doesn't have any more seizures because he's on cannabis medicine. His mother, Karen Gray, says, NHS trials are welcomed, but they are three years overdue. They will hopefully be beneficial for some children who have not tried cannabis medicine yet, but our children rely on the whole plant oils they've been receiving for three years, and they cannot enter into these new trials as they would be stripped of their current cannabis oils or perhaps take a placebo. It's unethical, and I would not risk my child's life like this. So if NHS doctors are writing... Uh, children's prescriptions for THC during the trial, they should do the right thing and write our prescriptions also. And I'm done speaking. What about the children? Apparently, the UK is dragging their feet just like doctors are here in America. Um, uh, Dr. David Nutt wrote an essay titled, Why Doctors Have a Moral Imperative to Prescribe and Support Medical Cannabis. Medical cannabis has been legal since 2018 there, yet only a few prescriptions have been written in those three years, and he just really takes them to task in that essay. I, I recommend everyone take a look at that in the British Medical Journal. What, what's that doctor's name again, Dr. Felicia? Dr. David Nutt, and Nutt is with two T's. Great, thank you. Cut it out, Dr. Felicia. Dr. Nutt. <laughs> Dr. Where do we Nutt. Think that, where do we think the pressure is coming from with this? Like, we always say follow the money. What do you think is happening here? I think it's pharma-driven. I think pharma has got to be, right? Pharma's got the power and the, and the purse strings at the uh, National Health uh, Service. Yeah, I think it has to be big pharma. It, yes, yeah, it's, it's partly, it's, I think it's mostly that, but Dr. Nutt uh, seems to say that there's too much paternalism going on um, in medicine. Well, that's that. just nuts, Dr. Felicia. <laughs> so that's what, that's what he's saying. Too much paternalism, patriarchy. The law and order folks are very uh, loud in the UK also. All right. Well, we've reached the halfway point, so I'm going to quickly relight the room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, we have Liz Rogan. She's a true renaissance woman known for bringing the data and not the drama. She's an educator, brand strategist, and healthcare consultant, as well as founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. What do you have this morning for us, Liz? Thank you for that great introduction, Jason. And greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining us to get the 411 on 411. 
So my story today comes from, it's SFist. I think it's SFist, not SFist. But anyways, by Joe Kukura. The headline reads, illegal marijuana farmer found guilty for starting the 2020 Dolan fire. So the Dolan fire was started on August 18th in 2020 in Big Sur. It quickly um, destroyed 10 homes and nearly 125,000 acres. It took the life of one firefighter and 12 California condors. And officials quickly realized this was um, bizarre intentional arson, quote from the article. So 31-year-old Ivan Gomez has been found guilty of arson. He was throwing rocks at vehicles, cultivating cannabis, 11 counts of cruelty to animals for killing multiple condors. In all, he is found guilty of 16 felony counts. So he was detained near the fire's origin, and he had been seen throwing rocks at vehicles on Highway 1 and the Lime Creek Bridge. Mr. Gomez told officials that he had started the fire at an illegal cannabis grow on the other side of the ridge, and he killed five men. So there was no evidence of any homicides, but the timing was on point because there were no other individuals found in this area. He was found shirtless, sweating, and was found with multiple lighters on his person. He also, they found matching lighters at the point of origin, and the Dolan fire did go to destroy 14 structures, 10 residences, and multiple condor nesting structures, causing 12 condors to perish. So I'm going to quote this from the article. It's a short quote, but the lives of firefighter and a couple dozen endangered condors were lost, but it could have been worse. The fire cost nearly the lives of 14 firefighters who were trying to defend their fire station, but were overrun by flames and had to deploy emergency shelter. Three were hospitalized with burns and smoke inhalation, including a fire captain who was seriously injured, end quote. So the sanctuary itself lost pens, a research building, and other facilities, but luckily no people were there. But um, I just want to say, like, this is not an innocent crime. A four-month-old condor chick naming, named Iniko was living in a nest in a redwood tree about a mile from the facility. It was too young to fly, and uh, through a camera, they watched the parents fly away from the tree and the nest burn. So this is really a horrible story, and there's more that's involved. You know, it sounds like there was other drugs involved here. But it's just important to remember, I guess, that um, this is horrible. If you see this, this is probably something you should, um, I don't know, I don't want to say try to report, but this is horrible, and I really hope with legal cannabis that we can avoid these things in the future. And so I'm Liz Rogan with this really happy story for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So, so Liz, this is who PG&E is blaming on the starting the fire? You know, Jason, that's what people are saying in the comments of the article, which is interesting. But I looked closer, and I didn't see any PGE uh, transformers near that area because it's actually a wilderness area, So, or it is right next to it. So that was my thought. Like, nice try to blame PG&E. But unfortunately, people were left injured, and from this, if PG&E isn't paying, they don't have any recourse of someone who doesn't have any money. I blame all the environmentalists for not allowing the Department of Forestry to actually clean up all the brush. Or as, um, or as uh, uh, Donald Trump said, go out there with your brooms yeah. and start sweeping up the forest. <laughs> we got to rake, rake the forest. Yeah, we got we to gotta rake those forests. Yeah, rake the forest. yeah. yes. not, not enough raking going on in California. There's plenty of raking, <laughs> but not enough raking. Ooh, I like that bar. Oh, sweet, sweet. But uh, you know one thing that could actually – like seriously from the industry that can help a lot of these wildfires is replacing uh, all these, this shit that's been burned down with hempcrete. Just saying. Exactly. It should be almost mandated. There's not enough infrastructure and you're going to have to change a lot of the building code in order to make that a reality. No, you're going to have to break a lot of those, uh, those standing contracts 
with the, uh, with the, all those big companies that are already in place that are fucking up our environment. Well, that's why we need to bring Trump back so we can tell them all, you're fired! Oh, God, no. Well, that being said, <laughs> she's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board-certified board physician, well-known for helping folks understand and manifest immense innate powers over their personal health by using cannabis as it was intended as medicine. Dr. Felicia Dawson, what you got for us this morning? Thank you so much, Rico. Happy Monday, everyone. My story comes from High Times. Georgia medical cannabis bill dies in state Senate by A.J. Harrington. The Georgia 2022 legislative session ended on April 4th without approval of a medical cannabis compromise bill. The citizens of Georgia continue to have no legal way to access their medicine. The House of Representatives approved the compromise legislation, but it was tabled in the Senate by a vote of 28 to 27 on the last day of the session. In 2015, the Georgia legislature passed the Haley's Hope Act, giving Georgians with qualifying conditions the right to use CBD oil, low THC CBD oil containing no more than 5% THC. However, provided no legal way to obtain their medicine. Was this by design? In 2019, four years later, HB 324 was supposed to provide a way to cultivate and dispense the low TAC CBD oil. Governor Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, and Speaker Ralston appointed a seven-member commission to draft regulations to license medical cannabis producers. What the public didn't know was that the law was written so that the process would not be subject to Georgia's Open Records Act, uh, i.e. there would be no transparency. In 2021, the Georgia Access to Medical Cannabis Commission announced that six companies from a pool of approximately 70 applicants would receive licenses. Almost immediately, more than a dozen applicants who weren't chosen filed formal protests challenging the selections. One of the applicants not selected Georgia Atlas filed a lawsuit stating the process was, quote, lacking in transparency, objectivity and fairness, end of quote. This brought the entire process to an abrupt stop, leaving Georgia's 20,000 registered medical cannabis patients still without legal access to the cannabis oil. Since the legislative session ended, Governor Kemp has vowed to find a way to jumpstart the process again. I guess it really is about priorities. Georgia lawmakers were able to pass within one year a law to create an election police on top of the voter suppression laws. They passed legislation for concealed gun carry, no permit required, and legislation to make the lives of educators and trans kids that much more difficult. Yet there's no legal access to cannabis oil for its citizens after seven years of quote unquote trying. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Oh, thank you, Dr. Felicia, for reporting on this. This is such a sad story. If there's things that we can do as advocates, please keep us posted on that. I mean, did anyone really expect Georgia to pass anything like monumental? But it's just medical. <laughs> that legislation that legislation is not that monumental. I mean, low TAC CBD oil that you cannot vape is just, is all has to be taken orally. It's like completely medical cannabis. I mean, I'd say most um, adult use slash recreational users wouldn't really care about that as much. Yeah, voting matters. Elections have consequences. Vote red, down ticket. That would be my suggestion. 
if you want different result, you got to vote differently. Where's this money coming from? Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, all right, guys. Here we go. Coming up next, we have Adelia Carrillo. She's the CMO of the award-winning tech platform Event High and co-host of the groundbreaking women-focused Blunt Brunch event series taking home, taking us today. What do you have for us today, Adelia? Good morning, everyone. So today's article is Hope's Medicinal Cannabis Be the Next Sauvignon Blanc for Kokori and Marlboro. This was by Suzette Howe of News Hub. Uh, so today, Monday, the harvest of New Zealand's biggest medical cannabis farm is set to begin, and many see it as a solution to bring a major boost to the local economy. Uh, medical cannabis was actually legalized in New Zealand in 2017, and what was traditionally a sheep and beef farm in Kekarugna was handpicked for its long daylight hours and fertile soil soon after. Um, so the experts are comparing this area to California's Green Triangle and believe it could take off quickly. Uh, one of the quotes that they stated was, we are also uh, latitudinally opposite from Humboldt County in California, and we have seen the effect on their sunlight hours and their summer season on cannabis, and so we are taking lessons from them and applying it to this microclimate, says Puro co-founder Tom Forrest. Um, and this is actually backed by the government. Uh, Puro was given a cash injection to become the country's largest medicinal cannabis grower. Um, Puro is a specialist cannabis grower near Kikuroga, Kikarugna, <laughs> uh, which was, uh, so the, the $32 million grant, $13 million came from taxpayer money, and the remaining $19 million is actually from private investors. Now, to receive this grant, though, uh, part of the agreement was that the government would, again, contribute that $13 million. However, with the basis that the wider industry gets the chance to learn the lessons from this program over the next five years. Along with a few other goals, such as employing 200 full-time workers in the coming years, um, and that Puro would develop an organic production handbook for indoor and outdoor growing, as well as a seed stock for the New Zealand industry. Um, so far, this, this farm has over 51,000 plants. Um, and it is the largest cannabis harvest ever to take place in New Zealand. And now with this expansion, uh, Helios Therapeutics Chief Executive Carmen Doran is partnering with Puro to distribute this cannabis. They said it was already being sent to a wide variety of pharmacies across the country. Now, another quote was, for me, it's a game changer. It's something that is for the two regions, Marlboro and Kakura, a major impact for local economies, said Marlboro's Chamber of Commerce General Manager Pete Caldwin. Experts are saying that New Zealand is going to have the potential to become the region's biggest exporter, um, especially after the years of earthquake recovery and COVID border closures. It's a competition both Marlboro and Kakura are pleased to be a part of. Caldwell also adds, it's absolutely huge. So I look at that and I look at the scale that this can be to get uh, it to a certain competitive state against the wine and aquaculture and tourism for our regions. Um, and with that being said, this is Adalia and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, would you replace your Sauvignon Blanc with a little blue cheese, Susan? 
I don't know. I'm not replacing any of my fucking fireweed with any booth. When you said Marlboro, I kept thinking Marlboro cigarettes. And, you know, I'd love the economic boost. And I think that's a good thing. But I really hope this isn't just a move by big cannabis. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Hey, I was trying to hope, okay? <laughs> Keep hope alive! So it's, it's actually, that hopey it's actually a place. <laughs> it's a location. It's not It's not Marlboro, the cigarettes. It's it's actually a location in New Zealand. I know. Um, I just kept thinking of it as like oh, a Freudian okay. slip. Like, I was like, is she saying Marlboro? And then I'd look back. No, it's Marlboro. Are they the ones that are releasing that new Kiwi strain? <laughs> I, I think it's the perfect place for Marlboro Greens to be launched. Isn't that all I know? Also, oh, go ahead, Adelia. Sorry. No, I was going to say all I know is by looking at the website, it is beautiful where they're farming. Like it's literally right on the ocean. It, they, uh, yeah, it's really nice over there. It looks like. I think it's pretty great to hear the government supporting it in whether it's with dollars uh, and or marketing concepts like this. I think this is uh, this has got to be the way that we all move forward. Exactly. They can make a uh, Lord of the Rings spinoff because they, they film everything down there in New Zealand and they could all be searching for the greatest strain ever. Well, that's what too where the Galapagos Islands are, where the whole Darwinism concept mm. was founded. When Gandalf packs a bowl and gets ready for battle, you got to know what he's putting in there. Oh, yeah. It's GMO. The Eye of Sauron. All right. I hear a little... Um, a little, 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 little cop noise in the background there. It's perfect for this next person because this former NorCal cop, elite athlete, and dope dad chose the road less traveled by his fellow boys in blue. He traded in his gun and badge for a blunt and a notepad. Now a cannabis security consultant for CC Security Solutions, he's our go-to guy for law enforcement headlines and from an insider's point of view. Here to increase your chances of survivability, Chris Eggers. What you got for us today, my man? Dope dad, Rico pleasure. Uh, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for the intro. My article today comes out of National City, uh, out of San Diego County. Na- and the headline reads, National City will depend on the state to do background checks on cannabis operations. So National City Council members last week, they relieved the police department of conducting the background checks on cannabis businesses seeking permits instead of opting to have the state handle the process. So they say that this move is because of a backlog. Um, the DOJ said that the FBI typically conducts these checks, but had a large amount of backlog because of the pandemic, uh, according to the city's cannabis consultant. And the delays could be up to a year. So quoted in this is uh, a city official saying that the DOJ's time frame does not align with the city's desired schedule to approve commercial cannabis businesses. Moreover, it will delay the city's receipt of revenue from the commercial cannabis businesses. Follow the money. National City Cannabis Consultants suggested an alternative to have the DCC handle these checks as they have the same prohibitions as the city. Now, there is no guarantee that the process will be faster than a year, but it could be more direct process according to the city. Um, I thought this was really interesting because one of the parts of the background checks is a live uh, digital scan or, or live scan. It's a digital fingerprint process used to perform a background check. And under the city's original multi-phase cannabis application process, applicants must undergo the initial background check uh, in order to complete the process. If they pass, they would then go to the live scan process. Law enforcement typically handles that, but now they're going to try to farm it out to the DCC. Uh, I thought this was pretty interesting given the fact that they said, you know, one of the reasons they wanted to do this in the first place uh, was because of a backlog. But if it's not going to be any faster, I don't know why you deviate from the standard way of doing things. And I think that might cause uh, or open the door for some issues later on. Um, but I found it to be pretty interesting to see how these cities try to navigate. And also the fact that they mentioned that they didn't want to delay the tax dollars. Um, National City is 
let's see, they have, I think, six consumption, or sorry, six commercial cannabis businesses, including two that must be reserved for local business owners and one set aside for a consumption lounge. Um, and that was approved back in May of 2021. Um, I'm curious to see if anyone in San Diego County is experiencing or having to go through uh, the application process down there. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What say you, Jason Beck? National City, <laughs> depending on background checks for cannabis operations. Should anybody even be background checked for cannabis? Fuck yeah, everyone should be background checked. Fucking, we can't have these fucking Russian oligarchs and crazy terrorists getting involved in cannabis, especially when it's a cash crop. So how are they getting in? Because they are in the industry. The back door. It's it's a, it's 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 a flaw in the in the DCC's uh, ordinance. It's a loophole. Well, it's interesting that they're looking at the state to do it. Are we doing the same thing in California? I didn't think so. I thought it was local. Fuck no, we're not doing shit in California. Right. Well, what about live scans? That's a background check, isn't it? We do all do live scans, but you know, live scans are only so so live. You know what I mean? Dead scans. I want to note the highlight. The headline does say operations, so maybe it's not operations. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up next, we have the man, the myth, the beard. That's right. It's Brandon Dorsky. He's an intellectual IP lawyer as well as the the CEO of Fruits Labs. What do you have this morning for us, Mr. Beard? Thank you for having me today. My headline is Cannabis Employment Soars, as reported by the Cannabis Times. This is based on the Leafly 2022 Cannabis Jobs Report, which now reports the cannabis industry supports over 428,000 jobs in America. The jobs report was produced in partnership with Whitney Economics and only covers the legal market. Employment in cannabis soared to new heights in 2021, with the industry adding over 107,000 jobs in the last calendar year. On average, 280 cannabis jobs were created every day in 2021, aided by the growth of sales in many markets and expansion of access to legal cannabis in multiple states across the country. The 2021 figures are roughly equal to the total job creation of 2019 and 2020 combined. Uh, With over 420,000 full-time equivalent jobs in cannabis, this is coming from a market that generates roughly $24.6 billion in sales, according to the report. The 2021 job growth marked a 33% year-over-year increase from 2020 and included plant-touching and ancillary jobs. This marked the fifth straight year of more than 25% year-over-year job growth in America's cannabis industry. 2020 saw 77,000 new jobs. 2019 saw just under 33,000 new jobs. California is still the top place for legal cannabis jobs with over 83,000 full-time jobs reported and Colorado, Michigan, Illinois, and Massachusetts coming in second through fifth. California added 21,613 full-time jobs in 2021 and had over $5 billion in legal cannabis sales. Florida added 8,895 jobs, which is more than a third of their active workforce. And Illinois saw just over 12,000 jobs added, which was an over 40% increase from the prior year, which tracked with an increase of 73% in sales growth. If you're looking for work, the hot markets, according to the report, are Arizona, California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Jersey, New Mexico, and New York. If you want to enter the cannabis industry and you're not spending your own money to do it, it is certainly never too late, and there's not a better time than now. 
Whether you want to touch the plant or work in media, sales, administration, or some other ancillary capacity, there is no shortage of demand for bright minds, and there are emerging markets all over the country. This is Braden Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. Jobs should be more important to elected officials than taxes. Jobs, jobs, jobs. That's why we need to bring Trump back. And jobs, yeah. Because you know, the whole unemployment yeah. situation has gotten a lot better under Joseph Robinette, wouldn't you say, that Jason? Is total fake better. news, Rico, and you know that. Oh, brother, not even close. Jobs also create taxes, yes? So jobs are positive all the way they around. They do, and don't you bring that bro data in here, Jason. I'll, I'll get Liz Roger out of that. Is, is, is that jobs with a Z? Only if you put a hashtag in the front. I don't know, but coming up next... We have Zaza Simone Brown. That's right. If you want that Za, you better talk to her because she's coming up next. What do you got for us, Za? Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, today, my story is coming from the Phoenix New Times, and it was reported on Friday. Um, there was an, a, a lottery held in Arizona for 26 social equity licenses, and it appears that the investors were the big winners. 20 out of the 26 licenses went to existing licensees. But I'm going to get into this story. After months of lawsuits, heated debates, and anticipation, Arizona has now awarded its social equity cannabis dispensary licenses in a random drawing. 26, 26 applicants hit the, app, the jackpot. The value of the license, the last of 169 that the state will award, is in millions, and the odds of winning were slim. Any given applicant could submit just two applications into the lottery pool of uh, 1,301. It started out as 1,506 applications, and so they weeded out around 200 of those applications. And from my understanding, how they weeded them out, if you had a deficiency on your application, DES had you come in and have a hearing with them and they offered you either to rectify your deficiencies or receive $2,500 back from your application. Um, it started out as a $5,000 application fee, non-refundable, but they gave you back $2,500 if you decided not to go forward with your application. So they had about probably 200 people that opted out and did that. So many of the applicants have worked with some big time cannabis companies and investors to go through the complicated, expensive application process and to enter the drawing. And the initial survey of the results showed that the companies won big. And so we had, um, pardon me for the smacking, but we had uh, Mojave Cannabis Dispensary and the Mint Dispensary and some local attorneys who did most of these applications and they partnered with some of the, uh, I'll say some of the nonprofit organizations in Arizona to gather the people for these, um, for the applications. They even went door to door. They went to Skid Row, just different places to try to gather up people to qualify for these, um, for the licenses. So anyway, what happened is they had the, they had the drawing. They selected 26. We had some groups in the city that are looking into 
the applications because they were aware of all of the shady business that was going on in the background. And so we wind up getting shafted. Well, the people who were true social equity applicants probably didn't even get into this drawing. We had five applications tied to two shell companies based in Wyoming. The ownership of those applications are still unknown. They had two shell companies that were out of uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they put in about 204 applications in this lottery. The precise relationships with the applicants is still unknown at this time, but we know it's a lot of stuff going on. They have four applications, four applicants who have partnered with Mojave Cannabis Company. They're a multi-state operator. They were founded here in Arizona, but they have dispensaries now all over the place. They wind up getting about three of those applications. So I'm just curious, how do you guys feel about social equity licenses going to non-social equity qualifiers? Zah, we got to call it what it is. It's called socialist equity. All right. You know what? We we are running out of time, and I want to quickly thank you so much, Zaja. I want to get this story in. Uh, my story today comes from the Chronicle Express. It's written by John Christensen, and the headline is, Two PYA Students Found Under the Influence of Concentrated Cannabis. When I first read the story, I thought Penyan must be a foreign land because of the way it reads. You got to read this story. The PYA students are students of Penyan Academy. Penyan is a quaint village located on the north end of beautiful Koyika Lake in New York. According to Penyan police, a 14-year-old juvenile delinquent gave another student a cannabis gummy. The child was, quote, experiencing negative side effects, unquote. So they took the child by ambulance to the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hospital for treatment. According to the article, the juvenile who gave the concentrated cannabis to the student was also found to be under the influence of concentrated cannabis and was was also taken to the hospital for a checkover. The school went into a hold in place during the incident and will be dealing with the matter through their own internal disciplinary procedures, unquote. The juvenile was arrested, charged with endangering the welfare of a child, issued an appearance ticket, was released to a guardian, and will appear later in Yates County Family Court. Quote, it's important for people to know that concentrated cannabis is different from cannabis in leaf Form, says Penyan Police Chief Thomas Dunham. Quote, concentrated cannabis is defined as the resin that is separated from the plant or any compound or substance that contains more than 3% by weight of cannabis. Cannab cannabinol, or other substances. The specific concentrated cannabis from this incident was listed as having over 84% THC. Leaf from cannabis typically ranges from 5% THC to 20%. Concentrated cannabis can be much more potent than regular marijuana and can have different effects on the users. As a result of THC being concentrated, it can cause nearly instant highs. Some users have experienced hallucinations, extreme changes 
responses to behavior, drug-induced psychosis, and even overdoses, unquote. Thank you, police, man. The article goes on to let us know that although cannabis is now legal in New York State, it is illegal for children to smoke or use cannabis recreationally. So let's lock them up. Let's, they go on to let us know what kids are calling concentrated cannabis these days. I want to know what gummies are out there that have 84% THC in them. I'm pretty sure they're not going to taste like candy. That's my story for today. And that's the end of the show. It was a really good show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show. And to our pinup girl, Liz, thank you so much. And thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Free Britney. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. <laughs> Bye. Are you going to the hospital now? Fix your finger? I'm really, light- I'm really lightheaded. <laughs> get, get to the hospital. Bye, everybody. Go, put, go wrap it up, Rico. Raw dog. <laughs>